Hello there, and welcome to Not The Farmer's Wife podcast. I'm CJ Steedman, and I'm definitely not the farmer's wife. I am a mum, a partner, a full-time off-farm worker, and enthusiastically a lady farmer. On our farm, Mojo Homestead, we grow chickens, goats, cows, and bees. We practice regenerative agriculture and holistic management. If, like me, you love all things farming and homesteading, and if you'd like to learn from the female farmer's perspective, then I'd love to have you along for the ride. So let's get farming. G'day everyone, CJ here from Mojo Homestead and welcome to another episode of Not The Farmer's Wife. Uh, I want to send out a big hello to everybody who's listening from different parts around the world because we have got listeners just about everywhere at the moment and I am so happy that we're able to reach out to so many people. Um, if you haven't already, subscribed, subscribe to uh, our podcast because that means that it shows it to more people, which means that it, we get more reach. Uh, and if there's anybody that you know that would be interested in listening to some of the stuff we're talking about, uh, by all means, let them know. Uh, and for those of you that are farmers or anything like that, I'm going to put a little feeler out. If you are somebody who runs a farm or has a specialty in a particular area that you think others would like to know about, um, send me an email or DM me on the socials. Um, I would love to interview you if you have something that you think is worthwhile getting out to, you know, new homesteaders, urban farmers, urban homesteaders, uh, something that you might think that they need to know before they start this journey of sustainability. Um, I would love to interview you. So send me a DM if that's the case. So this week we are continuing on in our discussions about preparations uh, and they're the spring preparations that we have going uh, to help us run everything efficiently and smoothly coming into our, our you know, uh, heavy load season of, of getting produce. So this week we're talking about beekeeping. Now, I, I get asked questions all the time about beekeeping. So if you are interested in beekeeping, hit me up. I am more than happy to help out. I have been a beekeeper for five years. This does not make me an expert far from it. I am still a beginner in the world of beekeeping. Uh, and I have some really good people that I lean on for information when things go wrong. Uh, so it, vital that you have that. So if you're just starting out, you're five years behind me and I'm more than happy to help out in any way that I can with any questions that you might have. But beekeeping, heading into spring. That's what we're discussing this week. Now, also too, don't forget that uh, even though our Backyard Chicken Keeping course isn't running, we are looking at doing our three-day sustainability challenge. If you're interested in that, let me know. And if you'd like to subscribe to our newsletter, you can go along to www.mojohomestead.net and uh, you'll see a little subscribe button down the bottom for our newsletter stuff. And that way you get to keep in the loop because I send a newsletter out once a week about all the things that we're doing on the farm and the links to this podcast and all that kind of thing. Anyway, beekeeping. I know lots of people love bees. I love bees too. So I've had my uh, bees, my first hive for the last five years and they that's my primary hive that I have been drawing from each year. Um, but I also have caught swarms. <laughs> so I have been gifted one hive from a person who was moving. Uh, and that's a Kenyan topper hive, uh, which you would have seen on, I think I've done a blog post about my beehives, uh, but you'll see it sometimes on my social medias as well. Uh, Kenyan topper hive is just a hive that is um, goes across rather than up. And um, it's a natural beekeeping method where we don't uh, give them a 
dictated frame. They actually build their own frame of, of um, beeswax. So they will draw out their own comb, honeycomb, and fill it how they see fit. Now, unfortunately, sometimes they are a bit wonky, and it's a bit wobbly, and it's not as easy to look after as a Langstroth hive, which is your typical box hive that you see. Um, but I'm in the process of making a Kenyan top bar hive that is a hybrid with Langstroth uh, frames in it. So where I give them a, a dedicated frame that they then build on. So I have seven hives in total at this point in time. Uh, two Kenyan top bar hives and the rest are all Langstroths. Uh, and I'm looking at trialling some flow hive systems. If anybody knows the guys from flow hives, put me in touch. I'm going to trial some systems and let you know how they go. And I do actually want to build a flow hive into my Kenyan top bar. So we'll, we'll see how we go. Poor old handy helpers freaking out about my little maps and plans that I've got. But this week we are talking all things preparation. So the most important thing that you need to look at heading into spring is you are going to start inspecting hives again. Now, we don't inspect in where I live. We don't inspect over the winter months. And the reason that we don't inspect over the winter months is because it's too cold to open the hive. Bees need a certain level of warmth and they keep that warmth by bundling themselves together. In fact, in some areas where it snows and things like that, people will actually take the top box off so that the bees have a, a limited area that they need to keep warm in order to survive. We don't bother doing that because we don't get snow here. We do get frost, but they're in a fairly sheltered area and they get direct sunlight onto the back of their hive. So it, it still keeps it nice and warm. But what we want to look at when we do finally open the hive, and we want to make sure that it's a day that's not too windy, not too cold, it's not raining. We want a day where there's some sunshine. And we want to go in and have a look and see... Um, that the hive is in, that the actual box of the hive is in good repair so that the timber is not rotting or coming apart at the sides or anything like that. Um, we want to make sure that uh, the area around the hive is clean and the handy helper is awesome because he suits up and goes and takes the brush cutter and cuts around some of my hives that are a bit closer to the ground so that I can get in there without grass and things like that growing up. Uh, but we want to get in and have a look and see what the if there's any debris in there from, from pests getting in, um, we want to check and make sure that the, that the pest load isn't too high. There will always be pests. It's You cannot get around that. There will always be. Uh, in Australia, we have a thing called hive beetles, and uh, the hive beetles will always, you'll always see one or two. What you don't want to see is hundreds <laughs> or even I, I, I get sad if I see like 10 or 20, um, but you will always see a couple. But you don't want heaps. But you want to make sure that the actual structure of the frames are solid, the structure of the box is solid, there's no rot, there's no mould, because that means it's too damp where you've got them, um, and that everything is in good condition, basically. So the bees, so the girls can get in there and do their job. That's what you want. Now, when you do get in there, if you see things that are out of whack that aren't, um, you know, there's mould growing or there's timber structures that aren't solid, you need to start ordering equipment and get that equipment in. And once the equipment's in, then you can go through and um, uh, replace anything that needed replacing. Um, you also need to plan for that around when you're going to actually extract honey um, because it may be that you want to uh, put a new frame in but you know you're going to be extracting honey in two weeks time three weeks time a month's time that is the ideal time to then replace that frame 
<clears throat> and that means you can get the old frame out. And if it's repairable, and repair it. Beekeeping equipment is expensive. So if you can repair it, you absolutely want to be able to do that. But uh, if the box needs replacing at a time that you would be extracting, that would be a great time to replace the box. If it needs a new cover on it, uh, if it needs a clean out and new hive beetle traps, so you can buy a trap that you put in and fill with a wheel and the hive beetles get in there and they can't get out and they drown and die. Uh, if it needs new new traps put in, then that would be an ideal time to do that. Um, yeah, so basically you're checking it for maintenance and wear and tear. Now, like I say, that's that's a kind of thing where if you can replace things when you're in there, that's great. If if you look and go, no, I can I can fix that up right now, fantastic. But you need to inspect the hive before you make those decisions. It's handy to have extra supplies on hand just in case something's really drastically wrong or broken. Uh, but for the most part, go in, do your inspection, come back out, sit down, write down all the equipment that you're going to need over the next couple of weeks and start planning for it. Excuse me. Um, the next thing that you look at going into spring is whether or not it's time for you to order new queens. Now, I've been lucky in the last five years. I've only had to do it once. But this year's the year I want to replace all the queens in our hives. And the reason that you replace queens, a lot of people don't understand, but the queens can last a long time, okay? So the average life cycle of a bee is around 21 days. Um, 21 days? Six weeks. Oh, brain's not functioning. It's around 21 days. Uh, that's your worker bee. Drones live a bit longer, but they get kicked out because they're just fat, lazy men who go in and eat all the food and have sex with the queen if they get picked. Um but the queen can last for years. The only problem is as a queen gets older, her production drops off. She's not quite as efficient in producing thousands of eggs that she needs to produce to get all those worker girls going. But also, too, they get cranky. <laughs> and I'm sure most people who've had any experience around a beehive will have seen a cranky hive. And it's not pleasant. It's no fun. It's no fun to work a cranky hive. Cranky hives are a bitch. So... It's a sad fact of life and, you know, for those people who are animal lovers that you will freak out when I say this, but you order a new queen and that queen is a pre-mated queen usually. Um, you can pick your different queens based on different things. The funny bit is that the Italian queens are the ones I love. They are so calm and so relaxed and beautiful. And so you order in your queen. She's already pre-mated. She comes in a little box with some attendants, bees. So the attendant bees look after her. They clean her. The queen doesn't have to do anything. She just literally eats and lays eggs. Uh, they look after her. And there's a little block of sugar, wax, basically, uh, that covers the whole the entrance to her cage. They send her to you in the mail. You open up your hive. You find your original queen. You take her out and you squish her between your fingers. Now, I bet everybody's freaking out going, oh, my God, you kill the queen. Why would you kill the queen? If you don't kill the queen before you put the new queen in, they can have a little battle of queens. And the queens won't sting you. They, they're not stingers. They don't do that. But they will sting another queen and they will kill them. They will fight to the death. So you don't want to waste your brand new $40, $50 queen, depending on where you live. Um, you don't want to put her in there with the chance that she's going to get killed by the old queen, who is the one you're trying to replace because her laying's not so good and she's a bit cranky. So you find your, your old queen first, get her out, 
squish it between your fingers. Thank her for her time and patience and efforts for you in your lovely beehive. And then you put the box with the new queen in between a couple of frames, close the box up and leave it. Bees are very clever. They will very quickly work out that the old queen is gone and the new queen's here. They will assist the new queen getting out of the box. They eat away at the sugar wax and the new queen will come out of the box with her attendants in tow who've kept her beautiful and clean and the pheromones and the vibrations that are being set off by the new queen tell the hive they've got a new queen and the new queen is it. She's running the show. Bees don't care who the queen is. They don't have loyalty to a particular queen. They do sometimes, but in this case, if there's no other queen, they have no loyalty to a new queen, uh, to an old queen. They just want a queen who's going to lay eggs for them and keep the hive going. That's their, their primary objective is to build that hive and make it strong and healthy. So they help the queen out, they feed her, and she starts going to work laying. Now, sometimes you'll notice a real increase in, um, in bee levels in your hive. You'll open up your hive and be like, oh, my God, where all these bees come from? If you do it at the right time, you won't have to worry about swarming. If you don't do it at the right time there are, or if you don't find the old queen, what can happen is you can get a swarm of bees. So there'll be a couple of attendants that are loyal to their old queen and they, the queen will say, oh, my God, there's a new queen here. Shit, there's not enough space for all of us. There's so many bees in here. We've got such an overpopulation. I'm going to take some bees and we're going to go make a new hive. And so they will swarm with the new queen, with the old queen or the new queen if she gets kicked out. Uh, because they don't need two queens, and a group of bees, not as big a group as what you'd hope, but a small group of bees will go off with the queen and try and find a new hive. Now, when that happens, you try and catch it. <laughs> you try and catch it and you try and get it into a hive as soon as possible because you've just got yourself a new hive without having to buy them. <laughs> but if you don't catch a swarm, if you don't get swarms, you can go and buy a, a nucleus, nucleus, can't even say it, which is uh, you purchase a queen with a small bundle of bees. And that small bundle of bees you can drop into a hive and they will repopulate that hive, an empty hive. Uh, it's always best to buy a clean new hive. Um, old hives, unless you know the background of it, they can carry some disease and pests that you don't want. So you drop your new, newly bought bundle of bees complete with queen into a hive, and that's how you start a new beehive. Catching a swarm is so much cheaper. <laughs> Not quite as efficient, but so much cheaper. So I have managed to catch, in total, six hives, six swarms, and managed to keep them in a hive. And they've stayed with me. Oh, sorry, five, five. So, because one I got gifted, one I bought. Uh, so that's a great way to get yourself more bees. Now, if that's the case, then you just have to look after them. You won't be able to extract the first year with a new beehive like that generally. You need to build them up. They take time to build up and get their numbers up. But if you've got a nice, healthy, new, strong queen, you should have no problems with that. Now, uh, when you do do your checks with your beehives through spring, you also need to have a look at numbers and see how you're going. If numbers are dying off, it may be that you need to replace a queen sooner rather than later. Um, or it may be something else going wrong. There could be a pest issue, uh, which I'll touch on right at the end about Varroa mite, which is a big issue in Australia at the moment. Uh, but 
yeah, it may be that there's some health issues. And bees are very self-managing um, animals, but you still need to help them out a little bit. They still need a clean, dry, um, mould-free, damp-free uh, beehive in order to do their job. They need frames in order to build out their, their honeycomb. But there are times when you also have to supplementary feed. Touch wood, I've been lucky. I have never had to supplementary feed at this stage. Um, we live on 120 acres with a shit tin of black wattle that is all in flower right now. So it's now August still. And uh, the black wattle has come out. So my bees are going hell for leather on the black wattle every day that they the sun's out, they're out. Uh, but through our spring and summer months, we have a lot of eucalyptus flowers and the bees love that, along with all the veggie gardens and fruit trees and things like that, they all love as well. But if you do need to feed, there are systems you can use, and I don't want to go into the detail now, but you can go in. It's basically just sugar water that you're feeding them, but it gives them enough to keep them going until the pollen has started to run and, and they're getting a really good flow on, and then they will get in and grab that pollen and grab the nectar and bring it back and start making honey and, and feeding the baby bees and bringing them back up. But if you have to feed, don't feel bad. It, it happens. And certainly in winter months, it's very, it can be, it can happen a lot. So uh, a good way to, to gauge that is when you do your checks, check to see how the honey stores are. Uh, by the end of winter, their honey stores will be dwindling a little bit, but they should still have enough honey there that they can draw on to feed baby bees. Um, if they're looking a bit low, that's when you might want to start just a little bit of a supplementary feeding until that nectar and, and pollen flow started. So um, repairing infrastructure. Obviously, we've talked about that. You, you need to look at, you know, what's inside, whether the box is safe, whether it's firm, you know, there's any cracks or splits or holes or things like that in it. Um, one thing to take into account that if, if you're getting a lot of mould or damp in the bottom of your hive, it might be a case that you need to adjust the height of the hive and bring it up off the ground. If it's an area where there's a lot of, I'm going to say the word, moisture on the ground, um, if there's a lot of moisture on the ground, it, it's got nowhere to go but up. So um, in certain areas, and I've just started trialling some plastic-based hives um, that actually have like vents built into them. So I'll let you know how they go when I do my checks in the next couple of weeks. Uh, but certainly they're, they're looking like a good alternative. Um, I like the timber boxes, but having a, a plastic hive that's got like a mesh bottom in it, is, it, it just allows for the extra airflow. It's important to have airflow for them. Uh, so we've also talked already a little bit about swarm prevention, uh, swarm management, but swarm prevention is the big one. Now, I haven't had to do a split at this stage because my girls have swarmed before I've been able to do the proper split. But one thing you can do is if you've got too many bees going, you can look at doing a split where you take a certain number of bees out, give them a new queen and put them in a box and it may be that you have to lock them in the box. So when I say lock them in the box, you, you close them off for a couple of days, but you make sure they've got honey in there so that they're not um, struggling for food uh, and get them started in the in their new hive, essentially. Now, to do that, you do need to have enough space to be able to move that hive away from where their original hive was. Um, with beekeeping, anytime you're moving a hive, you either have to move it uh, long fucking way away so that they don't want to come back to where they were or you have to just creep it a couple of centimeters at a time to where you want the new location to be 
Um, in the past, I have always just done the big move because we've got a lot of land. I can literally pick up the beehive if I want to reset them. Uh, I pick up the beehive. I take it way down the back, <laughs> like 120 acres away, and set it up there. I give them a couple of weeks to settle in, get themselves sorted there, and then I will bring them back to the location that I want them at. Um, and certainly that's how commercial beekeepers do it. They will pack them up and move them a long way to reset them up in a different area so that they're not prone to coming back to the area that they were previously in. Um, and adding extra boxes on is another thing. Coming into spring and summer, um, you may, if you only had a small hive, and certainly my uh, four hives that I've got up in the top paddock, are all still single box hives because they were last year's swarms. So this year I will be adding a box on and adding their super on. So another eight frames, because mine are eight frame Langstroths, um, I'll be putting another box on top so that it gives them space to move and space to grow. And as they expand and the queen is laying like crazy, uh, there's enough room for all the bees that are in the hive. Uh, so the next one I was going to talk about was beekeeping records and reviewing. Now, it's something uh, I think with all livestock, you really do need to keep records and you need to review what's working and what isn't working. And, and sometimes that can be hard. You, you don't want to find fault in your own work, you know. But at the same time, we can only improve when we, what is it? What gets reviewed gets improved. So when you review what's working and what isn't working, that's when you can make changes that are that are going to benefit the bees. And, you know, I love my girls. I call them my little girls. There's a few drones in there, but like I say, they're just fat, lazy bastards. Um, my girls are hard workers and I want to do the best for them. So uh, I, I look at whether or not, is that hive in the right spot? Is there, Are they getting too much shade? You know, uh, am I getting the best out of them? Uh, certainly that's why I'm requeening this year. Uh, my two uh, Kenyan top bar hives have not been requeened and they are cranky bastards. Every time we go near them, the handy helper and I, they we will get pinged. They will just slap us down. So they definitely need new queens. Um, I think a new queen will calm them right down and make life much, much easier for me long term. Uh, but also, too, if things aren't working as far as the particular timber you're using or uh, when you're extracting honey, if your extractor's not working, then you need to start working out what, what you can do to change things. Um, even right down to, uh, in my case, I collect um, pine needles to burn in my smoker that I use to go over and, and calm them down before I open the boxes up. And I had these little cube things that you burn. They're just little burners. They're shit. I fucking hate them. I'm sure that some people get them to work fine. I, it takes me forever to get them lit and they're a pain in the ass. So from our perspective, what we're doing now is we're just making sure that we gather up as many pine needles as we can and I've got a box that I can seal them up and store them in. And that way I've always got them on hand when I need them and I don't run out. Uh, other things is if you, and I'll, like I said, I'll discuss for a mind at the end, but things that you can do down the track where um, you know, changes that you can make as far as you know the Kenyan top bar hive, I'm going to turn it into a, a Langstroth, like a big long Langstroth. So that might be good in that respect. Um, when you do replace with a new queen, how is the queen going? Check her out every couple of weeks when you're doing your inspections. Is she fat, healthy? Is there lots of new babies being laid? Is, the, is everything working in that respect? 
How are the individual bees going as far as health? Get them out, look at them. They'll, they'll be all over you when you get in the hive anyway. Have a good look at them and, and just see, are they looking really healthy? Are they looking happy and, you know, are they very protective over their hive or are they lethargic and not, not doing so well? Uh, certainly one of the things that happened to me in the first couple of years of beekeeping was the uh, local council decided to spray for weeds on the side of the road without telling me. Uh, and I went up to check my hive, you know, every couple of weeks I'd go and have a good check, but, you know, probably every other day I'd just stick my head around the corner and check them. And there was a bunch of dead bees at the front of the hive with their proboscis, the little nose bit, stuck out. Like it looks like their tongue is sticking out. <coughs> All dead at the front. There was probably 100, 150 bees, which my big yellow hive, my old one, <coughs> sorry, has about 55,000 bees in it. So a couple of hundred bees is nothing, you know, it's not the end of the world. But I was still upset. There's too many bees there dead. Uh, had a look, got a few, put them in a container, took them in, got a microscope, had a bit of a look at them, uh, magnifying glass because I'm as blind as a bat. And they're all, they're all dead with this tongue sticking out. So I rang my mentor and said, what the fuck? Like, seriously, what could be killing them? And he said, pesticides. Has anybody sprayed pesticides? I said, no, my neighbours all know that I've got bees. They're not, they wouldn't spray pesticides. And then I asked around on our local Facebook group and said, anybody using pesticides? Because i got bees dying left, right and centre. <coughs> Sorry. Um, and uh, it turned out that the council had sprayed the roadside weeds without telling me. Even though I had signs up all around the fence saying, please don't spray in this area. You know, I've got bees in the backyard. I, I really, you know, need to keep it pesticide free. Nope, I went ahead and sprayed. So keeping an eye on them regularly to see that kind of thing or changes in the behaviour, changes in what they're doing. Now, the other thing that you need to keep an eye on, and this leads into our conversation about varroa mite, is that um, you need to be registered as a beekeeper in Australia. And there's a couple of really good reasons for that. One is when pest issues or disease issues happen, you can be notified and advised of things like that. So if there's a couple of diseases in Australia that can really decimate a hive. And if you are a registered beekeeper, they will notify you if there is any issues in your local area. Uh, and that is uh, American Fowl Brood, and I can't think of the name of the other one. But if there is a beehive nearby, then you need to keep a really good eye on your beehive to make sure that you're not going to get it. If it can be caught early, uh, it can be, um, one of them can be controlled, one of them can't be, you'll lose your hive. And that that's pretty devastating, the idea that you're going to lose a hive. But you do need to keep on top of it because if one hive gets it, it doesn't necessarily mean your other hives will get it. So you can catch it quick. You can get rid of it quick. Uh, but also, too, um, as far as moving hives around Australia, at the moment, uh, a, about 18 months ago, we had our first, I think it's 18 months, just it's over 12 months, we had our first uh, incursion of varroa mite into Australia. Now, varroa mite is a little mite, like a flea, that lives on the back of the bees and it basically sucks the life out of them. In New Zealand and in Europe, and I think in England, um, varroa mite is already there. It's something that beekeepers just have to manage and deal with. We don't have it in Australia. We've managed to keep it out of Australia, which is fantastic, and we are trying very hard to stop it from spreading. Unfortunately, bees fly from point to point 
and diseases get spread from point to point. So at the moment, all beekeepers are required to do an alcohol wash to see if their hives have varroa mite. I'm, I haven't done one for six months because my hives have been in lockdown, but I'm about to do my spring one, uh, which I'll post a video. So if you're following me on social media, if you're not, get on and follow me on social media because I'll post a video of when we do the, the varroa mite wash, um, which is just an alcohol or methylated spirits wash. And the idea is that you put some bees into a container, give it a couple of good shakes, and the mites will drop off and you will see visible mites if they have the mites on them. You don't want to see the mites on there. At the moment, under the current laws in Australia, if you have varroa mite, uh, the Department of Ag will come and destroy your hive. And they do that by sealing it and burning it. And I'm very blessed that I have not had to do that ever for any disease. Um, but the mental health aspects for these poor beekeepers that have had to do it, I just can't imagine and I feel for them. But it is important to keep registered because if you're registered, then they can let you know when it's coming close. Now, where I am in New South Wales, we are in the we must check our hive zone, but we have not had any varroa mite within a couple of hundred kilometres of us, thank goodness, and we want to keep it that way. That being said, I listened to a couple of podcasts from uh, people, beekeepers in New Zealand and France, and they have been managing varroa mite you know, for years. And I think it's going to come to a point where the Australian authorities just have to say, we've got varroa mite, we'll manage it as best we can. They can't keep destroying hives. We're going to have no bees left. If they, if they destroy every hive that a varroa mite gets into, it'll completely wipe out the Australian beekeeping industry. So it is important for people to check and keep on top of it at this stage. But I really do think the Australian authorities are going to have to get to a point where they say, all right, well, we're done. It's, it's here and it's here to stay and we can't fix it. Um, certainly that's what New Zealand and France have done. The beekeepers that I listen to uh, from over there, they just have systems they use to minimise the amount of varroa mite and minimise the drain and the impact on their honeybees. But at the moment, we can't move our hives without permission and we need to do our alcohol washes and we need to keep on top of it. And so that's what we're all doing. And of course, nobody wants varroa mite, but but also, too, I don't want to see beekeepers losing hives left, right and centre. Now, the other things to consider coming into spring are attending local workshops and things um, so that you can keep your knowledge up to date. Um, certainly, um, in some cases, there's extra information that they will put out uh, that will help you to, um, to get your beekeeping uh, all switched on and I just realized my lights have turned off in here automatically where I'm sitting and uh, my video is going to look very spooky I look like a head just popping out of my virtual background um, so additional spring considerations make sure that you have touch base with any workshops or meetings with your local beekeeping groups and obviously varroa mites the big talking point so keep an eye out for that make sure that uh, you've done your alcohol washes to uh, check that your bees are not impacted by that. Also look at whether or not you need to be planting anything to encourage um, and promote nectar flow uh, for your bees to get to. And have a look and see. There's lots of things going around about new different styles of beekeeping and new equipment that's being used in beekeeping. So I love to keep in touch with all that. 
And if you are interested in beekeeping and you are not currently a beekeeper, my suggestion is to look in your local area for the local beekeeping group. And there will be one, they're everywhere. Um, I'm part of the Yas beekeeping group, but I did all my training in Canberra. So my two weekends two weekend course that's all it was was uh, one weekend and then a fortnight later or the next week we went back for the the second weekend and by the end of that I was qualified to have my first beehive as I said at the beginning of five years in I do not consider myself an expert and I don't think anybody could consider themselves an expert for probably the first 20 years of their beekeeping career it's unless you're doing it on a major commercial scale it is very much a learning curve and you just have to keep learning and just keep working away and chipping away at it. Uh, the more you do, the more hands-on you are, the better you will get. Uh, the handy helper never did a course, but he has helped me go and collect swarms. And, oh, my goodness, talk about learning the hard way. Uh, we've done some pretty dumb stuff like climbing up trees to cut down branches to catch a hive, a swarm. Uh, the handy helper decided to take his hood off one day because he couldn't see what he was doing <laughs> right before the swarm landed on his head. Yeah, it wasn't pretty. Uh, he has dropped a swarm on my head when we were mid trying to catch them. Uh, luckily, I had my suit on. And all I was worried about was catching them in the tub that I had in my hands. So if you can imagine me halfway up a ladder, shaking my head of my suit into a plastic tub to try and catch the queen in there, uh, because once you get the queen, you've got the rest of them. Uh, but I love my beekeeping and I would strongly encourage anybody who is interested to go along to a club, learn how to do it, find yourself a mentor in your area who uh, is happy to help you out and then go and get yourself a hive. Do not be put off and scared by the viral mite incidents that we're having. Um, obviously, if you live in an area that's already affected by the viral mite, which is mostly in the Newcastle region of New South Wales, um, then check in your local area to see what's allowed and what's not allowed at the moment. I, I believe that there's some issues and that they're not allowing people to get new hives. But if you are not in an area that's impacted by viral mite, I can't strongly enough suggest that you go out and get yourself trained up and start learning and get yourself a beehive because the joy that we get out of it is so big. It's so immense. Um, both my kids help me out with the beekeeping. Um, and as I said, the handy helper helps me out. None of them have done a course. They're just learning from me. Uh, but they have so much fun. Uh, my daughter helped out during the uh, there was a day where we did a women's beekeeping. We wanted to try and get the world record for the number of women beekeepers that were actively doing something with their hive that day. And my daughter came and helped out so that she could add an extra female number to it. Uh, but she loves it. My son loves it. He helped me with the extraction process last time. There's a video on TikTok if you haven't already seen it. Go and have a look at the video of Owen explaining how we extract honey. Um, and uh, otherwise, uh, that's beekeeping in a nutshell for preparation spring. And certainly there will be plenty of videos for you to watch to get some kind of feel for what we do here at Mojo Homestead with our bees. Um, and I look forward to you seeing those. Now, as I said at the beginning, we are not doing our uh, backyard chicken keeping course uh, in August as had we had planned. It's going to be run in November. 
so there is, and I'll put it up on the screen at the moment, it is www.mojohomestead.net backslash seven must knows if you would like to go and get a free, completely free, no obligation uh, guide to the seven things you must know before you start having backyard chickens in your backyard. Uh, if there's any questions that you have or anything you want to know, reach out to me by all means. In the meantime, keep an eye out too for our three-day sustainability challenge. Um, so if you want to jump on our newsletter, you can just go to www.mojohomestead.net and down the bottom, scroll right down the bottom, there is a newsletter sign-up. So you can go and sign up to our newsletter if you don't want the backyard chicken keeping guide, even though it's free and very, very useful. Um so go and jump on the newsletter and then you will be kept in touch for our three-day sustainability challenge that we're going to do, which I'm very excited about. And I think people would get a lot out of it. Um, but otherwise, until next week, which I think I might be still talking preparation and I was going to discuss things about preparing your machinery and equipment for farming. Um, so, you know, the other things. But if that doesn't look like it's going to be enough of a, you know, enough content there for me to, to talk about uh then we might move on to the spring birthing season because that's what uh september is going to be september is going to be all about babies we're going to have baby goats coming out the wazoo uh we'll probably get another batch of uh chickens for rearing so day old chickens uh, both for egg production and also day olds for meat production um, as I said, we'll be requeening our beehives. Um, so that'll probably happen through September because the weather should warm up enough. And I think towards the end of September, there might be two girl cows going across to meet a certain bull and have a little date with the bull uh, so that they can get themselves uh, in calf and ready to go for next year because their gestation period's a lot longer than other animals. Anyway. If you haven't already joined all of my social media followings, jump on and join them and then you'll know exactly what's happening and when it's happening and you'll stay in touch. Until next week, and remember, uh, go out there and grow the life that you want to live. See you, everyone. Thanks so much for listening today. I hope you've enjoyed our time together. If you did, I'd be so grateful if you left me a review. I would also absolutely love it if you tagged me in your next post on your favourite socials at either Not The Farmer's Wife or Mojo Homestead. And don't forget to get your free guide to backyard chicken keeping at www.mojohomestead.net backslash seven must knows. And remember, grow the life you want to live. See ya.